0: Hello, welcome back to wrestling highlights of the week presented by my two cents podcast hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to read your wrestling highlights of the week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW, Dynamite, AEW, Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. But before I do that, if you could, whether you're on Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you are listening to this podcast, if you could please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review, that would greatly be appreciated. Because when you do this, this allows algorithms to know that this podcast exists, and it will help let this podcast, well, reach other individuals that might be interested in this podcast. So, thank you. Now, let's get on with the show. Monday Night Raw. Raw open up with a tag team match with Judgment Days. Finn Balor and Damian Priest with Dominic Mysterio and Rhea Ripley in their corner, going against Rey Mysterio and AJ Styles. Finn Balor will get the win for his team by pinfall, thanks to interference from Rhea Ripley and Dominic Mysterio. Rhea would grab Ray's leg and pull him off the ring apron when AJ was trying to reach for a tag. Ray would start moving his attention over to Rhea and start walking towards her. Dominic would get in the way of Rhea and stand in front of his father. He would drop to his knees and tell his father to hit him, but Ray wouldn't do it. Ray would then decide to start moving his, uh, moving his attention back to the ring, and Rhea Ripley would clothesline Ray Mysterio. AJ seeing all this, he would get distracted, and this would allow Finn Balor to hit AJ with the shotgun drop kick. And this will have AJ laying on the mat, and then Finn will finish him off with a coup de grace for the win. After the match, Ray Mysterio would get in the ring and start apologizing to AJ. AJ would shout at Ray for not being there when he needed him. AJ would shove Ray to the mat. Ray would then leave out of the ring looking at AJ and start walking to the back. AJ knows that he messed up. He just stands there and Behind AJ is the Judgment Day, and they attack him. Everybody starts beating up on AJ. You see Damien lift up AJ, hit him with the South Side of Heaven, which is a choke slam, And then you have Finn just kneeling over AJ, telling him, you should have listened to me. I'm your friend. So this is still Finn's way of tough love for trying to get AJ to join the Judgment Day, trying to get him to join him. Will this happen? I don't know. Maybe it might happen at Extreme Rules when Finn goes against Edge. Who knows? We'll see. I'll get more into that towards the end of the episode because I'll be giving my Extreme Rules uh, prediction. uh After this, we have Bobby Lashley going against Mustafa Ali. This match comes about because Bobby Lashley was doing a backstage interview and he was talking about how great it is to be the United States champion. He wants people to step up. Mustafa Ali walks up, saying that he's been stepping up and he wants his shot. Bobby says, "Yeah, go ahead, get in the back of the line, and you just keep proving yourself." Mustafa Ali isn't feeling it and he tells Bobby no I'm not telling you I'm demanding you give me my opportunity so that's how this match comes about but it's not for the United States Championship Bobby would win the match by referee stoppage when Bobby would lock in the hurt lock on Ali and Ali wouldn't give up he just ends up passing out in the hurt lock um Mustafa Ali took one hell of a beating but he was able to give Bobby Lashley a beating as well but not to the point that Bobby like was like hurt hurt in this now he got a little fizzled but most he took one beating a spear he took the um shoulder to the clothesline not clothesline but to the ring post i mean bobby was just manhandling mustafa in this but ali showed heart he was not going to give up and after the match you would see bobby go over to mustafa and start helping him to his feet and unbeknownst to them you see seth rollins attack bobby from behind Seth will hit Bobby with two curb stomps. The second curb stomp will be on the United States title. Seth will leave the ring, and then you'll see Seth looking at Mustafa, who's on the floor. And Seth will give Mustafa a curb stomp on the floor. Now, with this all being said and done, it would be announced that next week on the season premiere of Monday Night Raw, we will begin a United States Championship matchup between Seth and Bobby Lashley. So, with that, Seth would still be out here. He would get a mic, and he would start talking about his upcoming match with Riddle at Extreme Rules in the Fight Pit. Also, something to note, UFC Hall of Famer Daniel Cormier will be the special guest referee for this matchup. Seth plans on showing Riddle that he is the most dangerous man in WWE history. And Seth would announce that him and Riddle both have a new touch clause, meaning that if any one of them put their hands on each other, in the ring tonight or anywhere on during the show on Monday Night Raw. That match will be cancelled. So, Seth will call out Riddle, and Riddle will come to the ring. Seth will remind Riddle of their no-touch clause, and Riddle will tell Seth that he's going to kill him this Saturday at Extreme Rules. This will lead to Seth start playing mind games with Riddle, and he starts talking about Riddle's family. Quite a nice singing voice. Do you sing your kids to sleep at night like that? Oh... That's right, you're not allowed to see your kids anymore, are you? Come on, bro, just one shot, hit me, hit me, bro, come on, hit me. Oh Wait, you can't, you can't because we've got a big money match coming up this Saturday and you need all the cash that you can get because, well, let's face it, these days child support is very expensive. So unlike the last time Riddle and Seth had this little back and forth exchange and Riddle was actually able to pull out the family card and make Riddle upset, Riddle was actually able to play some mind games on Seth and actually start asking him a couple of questions. You know what, Seth? I got a question for you. When's the last time you held a championship? Oh, wait. That's right. The last time you faced for the heavyweight championship was get your boy Roman and he choked your ass out. How, how about this? Remember remember the last time you main evented WrestleMania? Oh wait, you haven't, but your wife Becky has. Now with Riddle having the proverbial checkmate on Seth, Seth starts getting upset. He starts getting in Riddle's face and now you start seeing Seth wanting to do something to Riddle. But before he could, you would see video of Daniel Cormier pop up on the screen and he basically tells Seth and Riddle that you guys need to save that anger that you guys have for each other For the fight pit at Extreme Rules. Where you guys are going to get at each other. But before you guys do. You guys need to train hard. And that's basically it. David Cormier just basically says listen. I'm going to be in there. You guys do what you guys got to do. At Extreme Rules. That's it. So before everything happens. Before Seth leaves the ring. He would flick off Riddle's hat off of his head. And that's it. So we got more anticipation. And more animosity between Riddle and Rollins. As they're going into their match. At a fight pit. At Extreme Rules, and I think it's gonna be a good one, but we'll see who wins. Uh, after this, we have another match Candace LeRae going against Dakota Kai with EO and Bailey in her corner. Dakota would win the match by pinfall thanks to damage control interfering. Candace would hit a German suplex off of Dakota off the second turnbuckle. EO would get on the ring apron and distract the ref when Candace would go for a springboard move, but Bailey would knock Candace off the ropes, and now this has Candace's stomach hit the ropes, and Dakota would seize the opportunity and grab Candace and roll her up for the win. After this, we have Johnny Gargano going against Otis, who had Chad Gable and Austin Theory in his corner. Otis would win the match by pinfall thanks to help from Theory. Johnny would hit Otis with a suicide dive to the outside of the ring. Johnny then would go over to Theory and start attacking him. Johnny would then get Otis back in the ring, and once Gable gets on the ring apron and distracts the ref, you would see Johnny start getting on the ring apron, but Theory would hit Johnny in the back with a Money in the Bank briefcase. Otis would grab Johnny, hit him with the World's Strongest Slam, finish him, and that's how Otis would win the match. After the match, you would see Theory and Alpha Academy start attacking Johnny Gargano, and this would continue to happen until Braun Strowman makes his way down to the ring. Otis would try to stop him, but he would get shoulder tackled. This would knock Otis down. Braun would then scare off Theory and Gable out of the ring. He would give chase to Theory and Gable as Theory was able to escape Braun by leaping over the barricade. Gable would try to do the same thing, but Braun would catch him and throw him into the ring. Braun would tell the referee to ring the bell, and now you have Braun and Chad Gable having their match. Braun would win the match by pinfall when Braun would hit a powerbomb on Gable for the win. Gable would be able to put up a fight against Braun. Tonight, it just seems like that was like the theme of the night for the small guys against like bigger men. You had Ali put up a fight against Bobby. You had Gable put up a fight against Braun Strowman. I mean, Gable was actually doing some work. Yes, he had Otis out there to help him too. But Gable was actually able to put in that work on Braun. And he actually made Braun work up a sweat to actually put Gable down. So kudos to Chad Gable. Uh, after this, we have the contract signing between Bianca Belair and Bailey. Bailey will talk to Bianca about why she chose a ladder match for them to have at Extreme Rules. Bailey says that the ladder match represents her career. She has had to climb to get where she's at, where Bianca has basically been handed everything. Bailey will say that she was like Bianca years ago wearing colorful gear, the ponytail, little girls hugging her and caring about her until they stopped and that's when her career starts spiraling down that's when bailey knew she had to make a change bianca would cut bailey off and tell her shut up bianca would tell bailey that's where you and me can't be compared because bailey was fronting while bianca's being an authentic thing and that's why the people rock with her cuz they feel her authenticity bianca would say that bailey just turned into the person that she truly is bianca would say that at extreme Rules, she plans on still being the raw womens champion Bailey would mention the time because her and her girls have a place to be, and then we would see backstage footage of damage control beating up Asuka and Alexa. Bailey would grab Bianca by her braid and toss her over the table and start pounding on her. Bianca would get up from it and start getting under Bailey and start attacking her. Bianca will be able to leave the ring and rush to the back to try to save Asuka and Alexa. And when she gets to the back, you would see Dakota and Io have left and that there was a chair on Asuka's leg, and you see Asuka screaming in agony. Bianca takes a leg off of Asuka, so we think this will take Asuka out of the equation, and this would have Asuka not being able to help Bianca in her match at Extreme Rules. Alexa will look into the camera and say that she wants to challenge Io for a match later tonight, and that match will happen in the main event. So, after this, we would get Solo Sokoa with Sami Zayn and the Usos going against Angelo Dawkins and Montez Ford, The reason why this match happens was because the bloodline minus Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman were on Raw, so everybody can know that next week on the season premiere of Monday Night Raw, Roman Reigns will be here. The Street Profits weren't feeling it. They just ain't trying to hear the bloodline, so Solo Sakoa takes, like, upset to this, and that's the reason why we have this match between Solo and Angelo. Solo would win the match by pinfall when he hits Angelo with the spinning Solo for the win. However... Solo Zakoa could have won the match earlier when he hit Angelo with a super kick, but Jay and Sammy were bickering on the ring apron, and this was distracting the referee and trying to get them both off the ring apron, and Solo would have basically Angelo down for basically a five count, and once Solo got up, he just looked at both Jay and Sammy, and he starts bickering and yelling at them for a minute, so this is starting to still show everybody the cracks that Jay is not feeling Sammy, but again, Sammy has muscled his way and weaseled his way into the blow line, so Jay just got to deal with it right now. After this, it's time for the main event. Alexa Bliss with Bianca Belair in her corner going against Io Sky, who had Dakota Kai, and Bailey in her corner. Io would win the match by pinfall thanks to damage control interfering. Alexa would hit Io with the Twisted Bliss, but Bailey would try to get in the ring, but Bianca will grab Bailey, and those two would start throwing punches. Dakota would help Bailey, and they would throw Bianca into the steps. Io would hit Alexa with the air raid crash, and then the moonsault for the win. After the match, you would see Damage Control get in the ring and attack Alexa Bliss. Dakota Kai would get a ladder. Bianca Belair would get in the ring and attack Bailey. but when Bianca turned around, both Dakota and Io would hit her with the ladder. Asuka would start limping down to the ring with a kendo stick, but... That would be for no use. Damage control would beat up on everyone and lay in the mount. Bailey would basically climb the ladder with the Raw Women's Championship in her hand, sit on top of the ladder as Io and Dakota would latch to the side of the ladder, and you would see damage control holding the Women's Championships, and that's basically your final picture that you see on Raw. Will that be a final conclusion at Extreme Rules with Bianca goes against Bailey? Who knows? We shall see, but I'll be giving my predictions again at the end of the episode. And that's your raw wrestling highlights of the week. Now off to NXT. NXT will open up with pretty deadly. Pretty deadlies out here in the ring. They're dressed like royalty, except they don't have crowns. What I mean by this is that they're out here in like red, like official outfits with like the white powdered wigs, and even got their face all white, powderly up, like old 19th century type Englishmen. Um, they are out here for their State of the Union address to the fans. They will be out here to gloat about being two time NXT Tag Team Champions. Also, they talk about how they have beaten the tag teams that are here and there's no teams left. Uh, except for the Brawling Brutes. The Brawling Brutes will be coming out here and they will talk about what Pretty Deadly said on Twitter. Apparently, Pretty Deadly says something about Sheamus getting beat up on SmackDown while Butch and Ridge were in Florida. So that kind of got under the skin of Butch and Ridge. That's the reason why they're here. Ridge and Butch would then go to the ring and they would punch pretty deadly. This would lead to them having an NXT Tag Team Championship match later in the night. Matter of fact, the main event of NXT. Now it's off to the first match of the night. Carmelo Hayes with Trick Williams in his corner going against Oral Mensa. Mello would win the match by pinfall thanks to Trick taking the hit. Oral had Mello in the corner. Oral would run towards Mello looking to hit a heel kick but Trick would push Melo out of the way and taking the hit. Melo will hit Oro with a code breaker and then finish him off with nothing but net, which is basically the leg drop to the back of Oro's head, and Melo will cover him for the win. After the match, you will see Melo stay out here at the commentary table as he's going to be on commentary for the next match between Andre Chase and Von Wagner. The winner will be included into the latter match for the North American Championship at Halloween Havoc. Melo would be watching as Von Wagner would win the match by pinfall when he would hit the Death Valley driver on Andre Chase for the win. So now we have Oro Mensa, Wesley, Melo, and Von Wagner included into the latter match at Halloween Havoc. The last participant who's going to be named will be either Axiom or Nathan Frazier because they will have their match next week and the winner will get the final slot in the North American Championship ladder match. After the match was over, you would see the camera look at Mello as he's still on commentary and he's talking about Wesley and then Wes would launch himself onto Mello. West comes out of nowhere, so Mello would start running away as Wesley would try to follow him until referees would run out from the back, separating Wes from Mello. This will lead to the next match of the night. Wendy Chu going against Lash Legend. Wendy would win the match by pinfall. When Wendy was in the corner, Lash would run towards her, looking to hit a big boot. But Wendy would move out of the way, and Lash' foot would hit the top turnbuckle. Wendy would take the opportunity to chop block Lash in her other leg, then go up to the top turnbuckle, hit a splash onto Lash Legend for the win, so Wendy has a win over Lash Legend. After this, we had a number one contenders matchup for the NXT Women's Tag Team Championships. Between Toxic Attraction's Gigi Dolan and JC Jane going against Zoe Stark and Nikita Lyons. Nikita would win the match for her team by pinfall when Zoe would hit Gigi with the Z720. And then Zoe would tag in Nikita. Nikita would hit her jumping split pin on Gigi to win the match for her team. Originally, it was supposed to be a six-woman tag. Toxic Attraction as a whole with Gigi, JC, and Mandy Rose going against Zoe starts in the Keaton Alliance and Alba Fire, but they will show footage earlier when toxic attraction pulled into the building. You see JC and Gigi get out of their vehicle and you already know that Mandy's in there, but before Mandy could come out, you will see Alba attack both Gigi and JC and she basically hijacks the vehicle with Mandy inside the car. So that's the reason why we had this tag team matchup instead of the scheduled six woman uh, tag match. After this, we had the Grayson Waller effect with Cora Jade and Roxanne Perez as Grayson Waller's guests. Grayson will have security out around the ring to look out for Apollo Crews. Grayson would try to speak, but the ladies would interrupt him. During the segment, Roxanne would mention that Cora and her were supposed to break into WWE together and do what the four horsewomen did for them, but carry the baton of the four horsewomen and carry it further. Cora will say that Roxanne had to complain to somebody for her to get a rematch with her at Halloween Havoc. Roxanne and Cora would trash talk each other until Grayson would cut them off. Grayson would let the ladies know that in 2 weeks time they will pick each other's opponents and the thing about that is that anybody on the WWE roster is available. Well, not the men, but any woman on the main roster. So you could get Bianca Belair coming down to NXT, you could get Rhea Ripley, you could get um you could get Raquel Rodriguez, you could get any woman on the main roster coming down to NXT to face either lady is all the pigs all depends on who they choose for each other to face. Uh Grayson will also let them know that they are going to have a spin the wheel make the deal match at Halloween Havoc. Basically you have a roulette wheel and whatever it lands on that's the match they have. Grayson will leave the ring and spin the wheel and it will land on weapons wild match. So I'm just thinking that it's a fall count anywhere match but just with a whole lot of weapons. That's what I'm thinking. They didn't really give any type of like explanation on it, but we'll probably get that next week on NXT. Cora would try to attack Roxanne from behind with the Kindle stick, but Roxanne would catch it. The security would get in the ring and separate the ladies. Apollo Cruz would appear behind Grayson and grab him, and then drag him underneath the ring. And the next moment, you will see Grayson come out from underneath the ring. You will see like red patches, like red like leaking under from its eyes. And he's, like, crawling away to get away from Apollo. That's kind of was Apollo's vision. He was going to leave Grayson with red eyes the same way that Grayson did him a month ago. So Apollo and Grayson's, like, feud isn't over yet. And I think at Halloween Havoc, we're probably going to get Grayson Waller going against Apollo in, like, a blindfold match. That's what I think we could be leading with this, because it's all about touching each other's eyes. So... We might get that Halloween Havoc. It was not announced on this week's episode of NXT, but we might get that. Uh, After this, we will have Julius Creed going against Duke Hudson. Julius would win the match in quick fashion by hitting him with the Rolling Oklahoma Slam, then the sliding clothesline for the win. After the match, Brutus Creed will come out and start smashing Duke Hudson. They're doing this because Duke made some comments about Brutus earlier in the show, so that's the reason why Brutus is out here. Um, Damon Kemp's voice will hit the air, and you will see Damon on the perch balcony of NXT. Brutus will say that he wants another match with Damon. Damon will tell Brutus that he already had his chance. Now it's his brother's turn. Julius will say that's fine because he is his brother's keeper. And once he beats Damon, Damon has to give his brother a rematch. Damon would agree to that condition only on the condition that Julius agrees that when he beats Julius, Brutus Creed will have to leave NXT. Brutus would accept that condition on his brother's behalf. Julius would say that he doesn't want to pin or submit Damon. He wants to beat him up badly and he wants to send him out on an ambulance the same way that he did Roderick Strong. Damon would agree and he would tell Julius to tell Roddy to make room for them. So at Halloween Havoc, we got Damon Kemp going against Julius Creed where the conditions are if Damon wins, Brutus is out of NXT. But if Julius wins. Brutus gets another match with Damon. I have a feeling we're going to get Julius winning because I don't see them wanting to call up the Kree brothers anytime soon. Not just yet. But anything can happen in WWE. Who knows? After this, we will have Zion Quinn going against Hank Walker. Zion would win the match by pinfall when you hit a running forearm on Hank for the win. After the match, Zion was going to do more damage to Hank, but Quincy Elliott would run down to the ring and make the save, making Zion leave the ring. So Zion and Quincy Elliott are having their little beef thing right now. That's not going to end in anything. It's just going to be, if anything, it's going to leave with like Zion either leaving NXT going on to the main roster or him probably even joining up with like Joe Gacy's like group because Zion Quinn ain't got nothing for him right now. Zion Quinn has been doing nothing since he's been in NXT. The only thing that he was doing at one point was like doing the uh, love, not even really a love triangle thing, but like the infatuation that Alexa Lopez had with them whenever Zion was going against uh, Santos Escobar, but once that got clipped and done with, they haven't been able to find nothing for Zion, so I don't know what they're going to do with Zion after he gets done with uh, Quincy Elliott. We'll just have to see as NXT continues to go on. And now off to the main event, the NXT Tag Team Championship matchup between the Brawling Brutes and Pretty Deadly. Pretty Deadly would win the match by pinfall thanks to Imperium interfering. you have Rich Holland hit Kit Wilson with the Emerald Fusion, and then go for the cover. But Giovanni Vinci would run down to the ring. Giovanni would get on the ring apron. Ridge would knock him off the apron. Ludwig would then run down to the ring, but Butch would attack him. Elton Prince would attack Butch, leaving Butch laid out on the mat outside. Ridge would be watching this, and this would allow Kit Wilson to chop block Ridge. Then you would see Pretty Deadly get in the ring and hit spilt milk On Rich Holland, cover him one, two, three. So that's how Pretty Deadly are still your NXT tag team champions. After the match, you see Ridge and Butch continue to fight Imperium through the crowd to the back. Then you see the teams of Idris Anafe and Malik Blade coming out, looking at Pretty Deadly, who's in the middle of the ring. And then you see Brooks and Jensen on the NXT perch as they're watching again, they're pretty deadly in the middle of the ring. So Pretty Deadly has two teams gunning for them. For the NXT Tag Team Titles. Are they going to do anything in Halloween having a triple threat? Probably. That's where I think it's headed to. But again, nothing was confirmed. So we'll have to wait and see you for next week's episode of NXT. But that is your NXT Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now we're off to AEW Dynamite. Dynamite will open up with a one-on-one contest between MJF and Wheeler Yuta. MJF would win the match by submission. When MJF was able to lock in the Salt of the Earth armbar on Yuta... Yuta wouldn't tap out initially, but whenever MJF had to switch it around and put more torque onto the armbar, you would see Yuta tap out. This was a nice opening matchup between MJF and Wheelie Yuta, and this is also showing that Wheelie Yuta is that guy that people will care about during some time as this time in AEW continues to like grow in AEW. We already seen people care about him, but... You could tell with the right people in the ring with him to go against, he will be a bigger uh, star in AEW. MJF was the perfect foil for Willa Yuta. MJF is the number one hated slash love guy in AEW, so Yuta really got the rub from MJF here. Um, After the match, you will see Yuta get to his feet, and Yuta will extend his arm out for MJF to shake his hand. Mgf was contemplating shaking Yuta's hand, but as Mgf was getting closer and closer to Yuta and as he's about to shake his hand, you'll see Lee Moriarty attack Yuta from behind. Mgf would look like really weird at Moriarty, and then he starts shoving Moriarty by telling him, I didn't tell you to do this. Moriarty continues to jump on Yuta. You'll see Mgf again push Lee Moriarty saying, hey, I didn't ask you to do this. Stokely Hathaway would walk down to the ring and he would give... MGF has dynamite diamond ring telling him to punch Yuta in the face. And MGF is telling Stokely he doesn't want to do this. Stokely would shout at MGF, punch Willie Yuta in the face. So it seems that Stokely is more the aggressor to MGF here. At least in this one sentiment right here. Uh, Moriarty will lift up Yuta and hold him so MGF can punch him in the face. But before MGF could do that, we will see William Regal leave commentary. And he will put on his brass knuckles and walk towards the ring. Once William Regal gets in the ring, we will see Lee Moriarty and Stokely Hathaway leave the ring. And now it's just MGF and William Regal standing in the ring. Regal is ready for MGF to punch him. He even points at his eye and tells MGF to punch him. MGF just stands there, looks at the devil ring, looks at Regal, and then he walks away and he tells Regal that you messed up. And then he leaves the ring. So, again, we're getting into some developments with MGF and the firm here. Again, The firm is only supposed to be MJF's like backup guarantee for something. And for MJF to tell Lee Moriarty and Stokely that he doesn't want to do this and that he didn't tell Moriarty to come down here to beat up on Yuta, it seems that this whole partnership and relationship might be going down the drain quickly. And I don't like it personally. I like the idea of MJF having a stable-owned retainer. So for them to try to like dissolve this partnership, I can see where AEW is going with this. I hope this is just like a... One week thing and next week everybody will forget about it. Or at least they could try to tie this into a story or somehow with this was just some uh, workers discrepancy or some workers thought that he can get ahead or some type of deal that MJF and AEW can easily like write out in the storyline. But I would like to see the firm still stay with MJF because MJF does need a stable for MJF to have the year MJF that he should be having towards 2023. Because remember, it's contract ends in 2024, so for MJF to be getting that big, monstrous push for him to be the world champion, because he's going to be the next world champion, he's going to need people to uh, back him, and the firm are the perfect people to back him, so I hope they'll be able to figure this out instead of quickly like dissolving the partnership here. Uh, after this, we will have Jay Lethal going against Darby Allen. Darby Allen will win this match by pinfall, thanks to Sanjay Dutt and Satnam Singh coming out to the ring, well, coming out. Um, You have Darby on the second turnbuckle when Saddam and Sanjay will be standing on the entrance stage. Jay Lethal would suplex Darby off the turnbuckle. Jay Lethal would see Sanjay and Saddam and tell him to go to the back because Jay Lethal didn't want them out here. He told them last week that he didn't need them, that he just wanted to have a one-on-one match with Darby. So as Jay is telling Sanjay and Saddam to go to the back, Darby would get Jay, roll him up, and get him into the Last Supper pin for the win. After the match, you will see Darby get up and extend his hand out to Jay Lethal so Jay could shake it. Satnam and Sanjay would yell at Jay so he could come to the back with him. But Darby would push Jay before he could leave the ring and tell him to shake his hand. And Jay Lethal would shake Darby Allen's hand. So Jay Lethal is starting to move in the right direction of being a good guy. And I could see the relationship between Jay and Sanjay probably going separate ways because Jay Lethal did not need Sanjay or Satnam. And that's probably what's going to be harping on him for these next couple of days, probably even next week. Uh, After this, we had the TNT Championship matchup between Brian Cage, who had Prince Nana in his corner, going against Wardlow. Wardlow would win this match by pinfall when you hit Brian Cage with four power bombs for the win. This was a nice showing between Brian Cage and Wardlow. They had a nice back-and-forth match between both guys. This was two big guys just slamming each other. But you also had them pulling out, like, other... Arsenal maneuvers that you know that they can do, but you just haven't seen them do in a long time, especially from Brian Cage. Brian Cage hasn't been on Dynamite for s- some months, and I mean months. So it was a good fixture to see Brian on here, and it was also a good fixture to see what Warlow can do whenever he's actually going against a- another big guy like him that actually can move and do all these high-flying moves like he can do. So these two really had a hybrid big-man match here. After the match, you would have... The Gates of Agony running down to the ring. That is the team of Khan and Tua Leona going down to the ring, and they start beating up on Warlow. Brian Cage would help out, so now that's the embassy beating up on Warlow. Samoa Joe would come out, and at first he was able to handle all three men until the numbers game got too much for Samoa Joe, and they start beating up on Joe. So now it's the embassy beating up on Warlow and Joe. Until FDR makes their way down to the ring and basically has the embassy scatter and leave the ring. However, you will have Tua standing on the ring apron, just staring at Warlow, Joe, and FTR, and you have Prince Nana pull him off the ring apron. Tua would push Prince Nana, and then he would get back on the ring apron. Then you would see Khan get back on the ring apron. Then you see Brian Cage get on the ring apron. So now it seems to me that the embassy is going to be on. AEW and he sees that FTR and some Warlow and Samoa Joe are going to be like their rivalry here. And I like it because you got a group of big guys just basically going against another group of big guys. And one of the best tag teams out here, FTR, included in this four on three storyline with big guys just going against another group of big guys. I like it here. So I also like just to see more Brian Cage on AEW television because Brian Cage was one of the guys, what, two years ago? They came to AEW, and everybody had a whole lot of hype around him, and he just hasn't done a lot in AEW. They gave him the ball, and then somehow they took the ball away from him. They sent him away. I don't know what happened, but I just want to see more Brian Cage on my television screen because it works for him on television, and he needs to be on television, personally. Uh, After this, we had the uh, trios-woman matchup of Jamie Hayter, Penelope Ford, and Serena Deed with Britt Baker in their corner going against Athena willow nightingale and the interim aew women's champion tony storm willow would get the win for her team by pinfall when she would hit the doctor bomb on penelope ford for the win after the match soraya would get in the ring and so would Britt baker Britt would get in soraya's face and this would lead to both the women throwing hands with each other and then all the other women would get in the ring and they start fighting one another leaving at the end, Soraya and Britt Baker in the ring. You will see Soraya hit Britt Baker with a super kick, and Britt Baker would roll out of the ring. So this does give some insight on Soraya's condition, because Soraya was able to compete in some type of condition in this, whether it be a brawl or a match. Right now, it's just a brawl so far. So it seems that she's able to do something, unlike in WWE towards her end of her time. She couldn't do nothing because WWE wanted to keep her safe. So it seems that they're going to have Soraya at least wrestle in some capacity on AEW television. Will it happen sooner than later? I don't know. We'll have to see as AEW continues to do what they do with Soraya. But this was giving fans some insight that, okay, Soraya can at least do something in the ring. So more will come in the times uh, in the future. After this, it was National Scissoring Day segment between the AEW Tag Champions League Acclaim and Daddy Ass, Billy Gunn. Anthony Bones would say that the acclam are the winningest tag team in AEW history. They are the greatest homegrown team in AEW. And thanks to the fans, they have the number one top t- selling uh, t-shirt, which is the Scissor Me Daddy Ass t-shirt. Also, they are grateful for being the AEW tag team champions. Anthony Bones would break down what scissoring is. It's basically when two friends is basically throw up the peace sign and just put it to the side and just... Scissor with each other, it was a sign for friendship and a sign for endearment. Uh, Billy would say that he went to the Capitol building and they gave him a gift to give to the acclaim, and it was a pair of golden scissors. So you would have that happening. Max Castor would mention that since they're in the nation's capital, you would hear Max mention that his father was on the Super Bowl winning team forty years ago for the Washington football team. Uh, Max would say that he doesn't care whether you are Democrat, Republican, red or blue. Everyone here can agree that everyone loves the Acclaim. So you will see the Acclaim and Billy Gunn, they're about to scissor until Swerve Strickland will come out and ruin the festivities. Swerve will say that this is the most dumbest thing he has ever seen. Swerve will say that the Acclaim shouldn't be the tag champions and that it should be Swerve in our glory, but thanks to Billy for giving them the assist. Swerve will say that he will be facing Billy Gunn next week on Dynamite. Swerve will finish by saying that Rock, beats scissors while holding a rock. And this is basically making reference to the uh Billy Guns and the Rocks feud in nineteen ninety-nine in WWF when the Rock just basically annihilated Billy Gunn on the mic. Uh then you have Mark Sterling coming out and say that paper covers rock. And then Sterling would say that he told everyone that Swerve was a jerk, but the stupid fans and the people in the back didn't listen to him. Swerve will tell the Acclaim that they need to get rid of Swerve, and he wants them to sign his petition. Max Caster would punch Mark Sterling, Billy Gunn would then body slam Sterling, and then you would see Billy hold up Sterling's legs, and you will see Anthony Bowens get on the second turnbuckle, and then leg drop Mark Sterling in between his legs on his nuts. After this, you will see the claim and Billy Gunn do the scissors in the middle of the ring to send the fans home happy after this segment. It was a good segment here. It could have done without Mark Sterling, but I got they got where they needed to go. So it seems to me that Swerve and our glory are still next up for the AEW World Tag Titles. And that before they can get the tag titles, you are going to see Swerve take out Billy Gunn next week on Dynamite. I see that's where they're going with this. Uh after this, we will have Roosh going against Hangman Page. Hangman Page will win the match by Pinfall with the Buckshot Lariat. After the match, you will see Jose the assistant wave his hands. And Private Party would come down and surround the ring. Moxley would come through the crowd and make his way to the ring. Private Party would start walking away. Moxley would get in the ring and he would have a mic in his hand. He would start looking at Heyman and Paige. And those two would start circling each other. Moxley would say that he's been waiting three years for this moment. He's been watching Paige, studying him. And between the both of them, they have beaten about everybody that's been in AEW. Mox will say that in 12 days they will fight each other and this would allow him to become the top guy in AEW when he beats Hangman. Hangman will get the mic and tell Mox that you said that we have to wait 12 days. Why do we got to do that? Why not we just go right now? So Moxley will get the mic back from Hangman and tell him that he likes him and that he's a young kid. But he needs to learn just like everyone else around here that saying stupid stuff will get them in trouble. And then Mox will leave by saying, see you in 12 days. So again, this is Mox getting Hangman prepared for their upcoming matchup in 12 days on the Tuesday night version of AEW Dynamite for the AEW World Championship. And also, they got to worry about MJF being in the back of their minds with his opportunity to cash in his uh, casino chip for the AEW World title at any time. But we shall see in the next 12 days what happens between Moxley and Hangman Page and MJF. After this, we would have Luchasaurus with Christian Cage in his corner, going against Fuego Del Sol. Luchasaurus would win this match by pinfall in quick fashion by hitting a chokeslam, then a cutthroat variation of the KOD for the win. After the match, Luchasaurus would grab Fuego, and he's about to powerbomb him out of the ring. But Jungle Boy would run down to the ring with a steel chair, hit Luchasaurus in the gut, then hit him in the back with a steel chair, and Luchasaurus would roll out of the ring. Jungle Boy will get a mic and say that Luchasaurus was his best friend and they have been through everything with each other, but he still chose Christian Cage over him. He says that he is going to break Luchasaurus' fingers, his nose, and every bone in his body. Only thing Luchasaurus got to do is pick the place and the time. So Christian will get the mic and tell Jungle Boy that the match will happen next week in Canada. So that match is happening next week, Luchasaurus versus uh, Jungle Boy. Now it's time for the main event: Daniel Garcia and Brian Danielson going against Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara. Sammy Guevara will get the win for his team by pinfall when Daniel Garcia has Sammy Guevara in the Dragon Slayer, the Sharpshooter, and Jericho will hit Daniel Garcia with the ROH Championship. Sammy Guevara will cover Daniel for the win. And you're probably wondering where was Brian Danielson during all this? Well, Brian Danielson got taken out by Chris Jericho when Chris Jericho would suplex. Brian threw the uh, Times Keeper's table at ringside, so that took out Brian Danielson. That allowed Chris Jericho to grab the Ring of Honor title, hit Daniel Garcia in the head with it. Um, Solid tag team matchup to end AEW Dynamite, to be honest here. I did not think that we were actually going to get Daniel Garcia and Chris Jericho actually, like, punching each other and slamming each other, but we actually got that. I thought this was going to be a swerve, and Daniel Garcia was just going to be baiting Brian Danielson and then it's going to be a three-on-one beatdown, but no, it was actually a standard two-on-two matchup here. And I was shocked by that. That's my big takeaway from this matchup, to be honest with you. And people might be upset that Sammy Guevara got the win because of some backstage stuff. And for the people that don't know, let me say this right now. Uh during AEW Dynamite, like literally the beginning, like moments of Dynamite, we didn't see this. This is all reported backstage, and it kind of got, and I'm not gonna say kind of got confirmed. But it technically did. Whenever this happened, Tony Khan would tweet out that Andrade versus Number Ten match for Rampage would be out, and still to honor the late Brody Lee, Ten would be able to participate in a match that he wasn't able to at all out. So it would be the dark, well, the Death Triangle going against the Dark Order for the AEW Trio Championship. So that leaves Andrade out in the cold. What was reported was that Sammy Guevara and Andrade got into a backstage altercation i don't know if andrade got sent home or not but you could kind of get tell that andrade was not around on that wednesday episode of dynamite so for Tony Khan to tweet that out and to rearrange things people were trying to figure out okay you let andrade not be on rampage but you have sammy guevara be on dynamite you he's in the main event and he wins the match for the team people didn't understand that I'm just going to say right now, there's probably more things to it than what we are even privy to, and we're not even privy to anything, personally, because, again, this is all backstage reports and everything, and I already told you how I feel about that. I'm just going to let that stuff go and ride out, but once Tony Khan tweeted that the match got changed, I was like, okay, I think I have some right to say something about this. Um, I don't know what's up with Andrade and AEW. I don't know what's up with Sammy Guevara, Andrade, and all that type of stuff. Andrade apparently has some... Type beef with Sammy, and Sammy got some beef with Andrade. I just wish that, you know what, somebody. Sometimes I'm just gonna say right now, in the wrestling business, yo, somebody got to hold people accountable. If people want to scrap, yo, leave them going to a, a room with at least one person in the middle, like to mediate and see these two out and let them either scrap or rather than talk it out, but let them kill that noise after they leave out of that room. And let it be done with that. That's what it needs to be done in the wrestling business. I just see it that way as a fan watching because there's been a lot, especially out of AEW, for this past year, a lot of backstage drama coming out of it this year. So I tweeted out I think in at the end of 2022 for AEW, it will be remembered as the most chaotic uh year for AEW that chaos just basically reigns supreme. So I have all the faith in AEW to turn it around, but at this moment right now, I think they're just going to be remembered for being chaotic for 2022. But anyway, that is your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now off to Impact Wrestling. This is Impact's final episode until Bound for Glory. And this was a pretty straightforward episode. I mean, you just had a whole lot of wrestling matches and some like uh, video packages for the upcoming matches at Bound for Glory. So the matches that happened on Impact were Kenny King going against Frankie Kazarian. That's the first match. Kazarian would win the match by submission when Kenny King had Kazarian on his shoulders to hit the Royal Flush. But Kazarian would grab the top rope to stop King. Kazarian would then get off the shoulders of King and then lock in the crossface chicken wing, making Kenny King tap out. So this gives Kazarian some momentum going into his X-Division Championship match against Mike Bailey at Bound for Glory. After this match, we had Giselle Shaw going against Mia Yim. And Mickey James was on commentary for this matchup. Mickey James was out here to scout her competitor, Mia Yim. That's the woman that she'll be facing at Bound for Glory. Mia Yim would win the match by pinfall whenever she hits Eat the Feet on Giselle Shaw for the win. After the match, Mickey James would get in the ring, and then you see Mickey and Mia get in each other's face. Well, they didn't get in each other's face, they just looked at each other. And again, this is just to build up the anticipation for their matchup Bound for Glory. And the stipulation for the matchup is still if Mickey James loses her career is over. So this is more of a do or die for Mickey than Mia Yim. After this, we had the special guest referee match of Steve Macklin going against Moose with Sammy Callahan as special guest ref. Sammy Callahan will basically let these two guys beat the ever-loving piss out of each other you would see at points where one of them were pinned the other, and then Sammy would just go over and slowly take his time to count, or he would just not count at all, and he would just mess around with the fans, and then that would still upset uh, either man. But in the end, it would be Steve Macklin who ends up with the pinfall victory when Moose would spear Macklin and go for the pin. Callahan would count up to two and then give Moose the thumbs up, then turn it thumbs down, grab Moose, hit him with a pile driver, Then he goes over, grabs Steve Macklin, and pile drive him as well. And Then Sammy would roll Steve Macklin onto Moose, then count to three for the win. So Steve Macklin does get the win, thanks to the assist of Sammy Callahan. So there you go. After this, we had the Swingerellas with Ziggy Dice and Johnny Swinger in their corner, going against Jessica and Taya Valkyrie, who had Rosemary in their corner. Jessica will win the match for her team by pinfall when she hits one of the Swingerellas with the Fire Thunder driver for the win, Again, building up momentum for Jessica and Ty Valkyrie when they go against Vex, who are Chelsea Green and Deanna Perazzo for the Impact Knockouts Tag Team Titles at Bound for Glory. So this is just giving them some chemistry, so whenever they go against Vex. After this, we have Matt Taven with Mike Bennett and Maria Kanellis in his corner, going against Alex Shelley, who had Chris Saban in his corner. Alex Shelley would win the match by pinfall when he would hit the shell-shocked which is a spinning STO, or better known as the Sister Abigail, for people that watch WWE. And that's how Alex Shelley would win. You will have some shenanigans. Maria Kanellis would interfere by getting on the ring apron. Mike Bennett would get in trying to attack Alex Shelley. You will see Chris Saban pull Mike Bennett out. And that's what will lead to Alex Shelley getting the win on uh, Matt Taven. This is giving the Motor City Machine Guns momentum as they go against uh, Matt Taven and Mike Bennett at Bound for Glory for the Impact Tag Team Titles, and we will have to see if they will come out as the victors at Bound for Glory. Who knows? Uh, after this, it's time for the main segment. It's the contract signing between the challenger Masha Slamovich and the champion Jordan Grace, and this for their contract signing to for their matchup at Bound for Glory for the Knockouts Championship. Slamovich wouldn't say nothing; she would just sign the contract. Jordan Grace would tell Masha that she. Uh, Respects her as a competitor, but she is not leaving out Battle for Glory as the knockouts champion because Jordan Grace is not ready to give up being knockouts champion. She would read off her stats in Impact. She says she's a two-time knockouts champion. She is a former knockouts tag team champion, and she is a former digital media champion. She would state that she is the first ever women triple crown champion, so that's a big accomplishment um, but yeah, Jordan Grace just basically lets Masha know that she's not going to give Masha the knockouts championship at Bound for Glory. So you would get Jordan signing the contract and then Masha would speak Russian to Jordan. But then she would translate it by saying Masha's going to kill you. Then she flips the table on Jordan, starts beating up on Jordan a little bit. Jordan was able to beat up on Masha back, get her into the top, uh, turnbuckle, have her in position for the muscle buster, but Masha would get out of it, kick Jordan in the stomach, uh, grab her up, and hit her with the snow plow through the table, and in the end, it will be Masha Slamovich holding up the Knockouts Championship, and is that a uh, sign for what could happen at Bound for Glory? Who's to tell? But you will know whenever I give you the results for Bound for Glory. But with that, that is your Impact Wrestling, wrestling highlights of the week. Now off to SmackDown. SmackDown will open up with Triple H in the middle of the ring. This is the season premiere of SmackDown. So Triple H will just be out here to welcome everybody to SmackDown. But here's the funny thing about it. When Triple H had his microphone, he would turn it to show off the QR code on the microphone in front of the camera so people at home could take the photo of the QR code and basically you could open up a uh, WWE-like... They take you somewhere on the WWE.com and it shows you a video of the three little pigs and the big bad wolf. And constantly during the video you will hear let me in, let me in, let me in multiple times. So this is still going on with the White Rabbit Theory. And the let me in phrase was used famously by Bray Wyatt when he was using the Fiend character in his last iteration in WWE in 2019. So it has... I'm not going to say it's been confirmed, but it's been kind of like debunked. And now it's Bray Wyatt. Come on now. This white rabbit thing is Bray Wyatt. And they would show later in the night a commercial of the white rabbit hopping through the forest. He goes into a hole and fire bursts through the hole. And it says October the 8th, 2022. So Bray Wyatt or the white rabbit will be at least exposing himself to show everybody who he is at Extreme Rules. So we will see who that is. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, Bray Wyatt at Extreme Rules Uh, later tonight whenever you listen to the Extreme Rules or you see Extreme Rules, but I'll be having Extreme Rules uh, review out Sunday. Anywho, uh, with that little sidebar out the way, after Triple H is out here, you will have the bloodline come out to the ring. You'll be led by Roman Reigns. Roman would hit his catchphrase of certain town, acknowledge me. And before he can get into anything, Logan Paul will come out to the ring and get on the ring apron and look at the bloodline. Logan was hesitant of getting in the ring because you have all the bloodline in there. Roman would tell Logan that he wants him to get in the ring. Nobody's going to touch him because he wants Logan to hear what he has to say. And Logan needs to hear what Roman has to say. So Roman would give the mic to Paul so Paul can smarten up Logan Paul. Paul Heyman would tell Logan that Logan Paul is the Mr. T and Cindy Lauper of his generation. Meaning that back in 1980s, Mr. T and Cindy Lauper came to WWE. They brought a fan base to WWE. And with that fan base, they watched WWE. And they had help built WWE to this global-wide phenomenon that it is now. So that's the reason why Paul Heyman is saying that Logan Paul is Mr. T and Cyndi Lauper of this generation. So they're going to use Logan Paul's fan base to build up WWE here. And say that Logan Paul was handpicked by Paul Heyman to get smashed by Roman Reigns at Crown Jewel because of that. Logan Paul would tell Paul Heyman that he's right about everything, but he has to question something. He says, You said I'm going to get smashed by the tribal chief. Are you talking about Roman Reigns or are you talking about Jey Uso? Jay will start yelling at Logan, telling him that he knows what he's trying to do. He's trying to cause a wedge. And you just see Jay constantly yelling at Logan, and Roman is starting to get a little bit agitated. He turns his head towards Jay, and then he even gets in Jay's face. Jay would stand there like a child that's about to get punished, and he just stands there and looks at Roman, and Roman just constantly stale, stares at Jay. Sami Zayn will have to cut in... This tense situation, he would tell Roman that, hey, you're the tribal chief. Nobody here is questioning you. Jay is loyal. Logan Paul is just trying to cause some friction between the bloodline, and that isn't going to work. Sammy will tell Logan that he is going to get beat by Roman, and he's going to get smashed harder than anybody has ever been. Pause. That should have been a pause moment off top, but it's Sammy. He can get away with that. Sammy would say that Logan is the biggest number two in the world and that the blue line are the ones. So, Sammy was trying to play peacemaker between Roman and Jay before Roman was able to smash Jay in the face anyway. Uh, after this, we will have Solo Decoa having his match with Ricochet. And Solo Decoa will win the match by pinfall when Ricochet will go for the shooting star press. But Solo would catch Ricochet when he jumps off and hit him with the spinning Solo for the win. It seems to me that they're really pushing Solo as the enforcer. Like, yo, Solo is the guy. We're giving him a lot of matches on mainstream, like Raw SmackDown. For the people that didn't watch NXT and don't know who Solo is, we're giving him that time so people can understand. Like, okay, when Solo gets in the ring, it's a big deal. You have to pay attention to him. So I like the presentation what they're doing with Solo Sokoa here. We would go to the back. And we would see the bloodline in their locker room. And you would see Roman sitting in his chair, Paul next to him. And you would see Jay, Uso, Sami Zayn, and Jimmy Uso on a big uh, couch. And Sami is so happy that Solo won this match. He takes credit to a point saying that ever since he took Solo underneath his wing, he's been doing well. And Jay would get upset at this for Sami saying that you are trying to take credit for my brother's doing. My brother's been that way since he was a small kid. He's gotten all. He's gotten here by himself. He doesn't need n- nobody to take credit for what he's doing. Sammy would take some offense to this and tell Jay that, yo, relax, you're acting like a hothead. Don't be such a hothead. Hey, hey, Sammy, Sammy, hey, call me a hothead all right. one more time and I'm gonna get You are a hothead. You've always been a hothead. No, no, he's a hothead. We dealt with this our whole lives. And the fact that you keep on doing this, that's a problem. And it's been our problem our whole lives. I don't want it to be my problem anymore. So it's not going to be my problem anymore. It's your problem now, Sammy. Though now with Sammy having his margin orders, he is now the Usos keeper. He has to make sure that Jay keeps himself in check, and that will play a big part of tonight's situation with the Usos and Sammy. Because after Sammy gets his marching orders, you would see later in the night the Usos and Sammy walk backstage, and you see the new day. Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods clowning Jay Uso for now having Sammy's Zayn being the stepdaddy to them, and you can tell Jimmy he says right now is not the time. And the New Day still pokes and prods at Jay. So then, Sammy says, you know what? You guys find a partner. and We'll have a six-man tag match tonight. And that's what we'll lead to later in the night. Uh, after this situation, we would go to Hit Row coming down to the ring. They were supposed to do, like, a cypher. But before they could do that, three men in mask were at attack Hit Row. Top Dollar and Ashanti Adonis. B-Fab would just watch from the side as her guys are getting beat up. She would get in the ring and try to, like, stop one of the other guys from attacking uh, Ashanti or Top Dollar. But from the corner camera, you will see Selena Vega on the top turnbuckle, jump off and hit uh, B-Fab with a hurricanrana. So you see Top Dollar, you see Ashanti, you see B-Fab on the mat laid out, and you see the three men with the mask on their heads with Selena Vega in the ring. Selena has a microphone in hand. The men will unmask, and it is Legado de Fantasma. You have Santos Escobar, you have Joaquin Wild, and you have uh, Toro El Cruz. So, this is now their new presentation on SmackDown. They're on the main roster now. I think I said last week I didn't know where Legado was, so now we do know where they're at. But, I just have a problem that they replaced Electro Lopez with, selena vega electra lopez was a perfect fit of the puzzle at least in my eyes for legato i'm not saying nothing bad about selena but i hope they have something for electra to do because again electra lopez was a good fit and trading around with selena it's not a bad fit but i just like electra a little bit better than selena at least in this spot so we'll see i'll give it the benefit of the doubt with selena because selena always turns things into gold she was able to Turn her partnership with Andrade into something that was big on NXT, even the main roster before he got damned to hell. So we'll see what's up after this. We had Shotzi and Raquel Rodriguez going against Ziya Lee and Sonia Deville. Raquel would win the match for her team by pinfall when Raquel would hit the Tijano Bomb on Deville for the win. Solid tag match here. After this, we had Karrion Cross and Scarlet coming out to the ring, and as Karrion is doing his whole fallen prey, uh, entrance at the end, he's in the ring. You would see Drew slide in the ring behind Cross, and Drew would turn Cross around and forearm him, and then he started pounding on Cross. Drew would have the strap, and he would put the strap on Cross's arm and then apply the other end to his arm. Security would come to the ring and get Drew off of Cross. You would see Drew beat up on the guards, and this would allow Cross to get up and use the strap in his advantage. He would pull Drew into the steel post, and then Cross would use that strap and hit Drew multiple times in the back with that strap before leaving Drew just laid out outside of the ring. So, again, building up their match for the Extreme Rules in the strap match, solid. After this six man tag match, the Usos and Sami Zayn going against the New Day and their partner Braun Strowman. Xavier Woods would win the match for his team by pinfall when the New Day would hit up, up, down, down, which is a backbreaker double stomp combination onto Jimmy Uso for the win. You might be asking yourself, where was Sammy and Jay during this situation? Well, Braun would take care of Sammy and Jay when he would bulldoze them outside of the ring and they would knock into the commentary uh, table. So that's why Sammy and Jay were not around when Jimmy got hit with up, up, down, down. And again, this still plays into the big whole thing of Jay being a a hothead he was being a hothead throughout this six-man tag you saw jimmy and sammy tagging with each other jimmy and jay would tag with one another jay would not want to tag in sammy sammy will constantly try to tag in jay but jay wasn't trying to hear it so jay is going to have to pay some penance for this i have a feeling because roman does not like having the bloodline losing so i can see him making jay an example on monday Night raw on their season of premiere where the bloodline supposed to be all together on raw uh, after this, we go backstage to maximum male models being taken out by Max Dupree, who has now been reverted back to L.A. Knight. So, L.A. Knight is now on the main roster, and next week on SmackDown, he will be going against Mons... Sorry, I was about to say Monsoit there for a minute, but Monsoit. That's going to be L.A. Knight's uh, first match on SmackDown. Now, it's time for the main event of SmackDown. Intercontinental match Championship matchup, Gunther going against Sheamus... Gunther would win the match by pinfall, thanks to Imperium coming out for uh, distraction and also interference. Sheamus will have Gunther in the Cloverleaf submission, and Gunther would make it to the bottom rope. Then you see Imperium run down to the ring to hype up Gunther. The Barling Brutes would appear and attack Imperium from behind, so now there's chaos on the outside of the ring. The referee would be too busy to notice that Ludwig Kaiser would have already passed Gunther, uh, the shillelagh that Sheamus usually walks around with to Gunther, and Gunther would close line Sheamus with the shillelagh for the win. This match was solid, but I liked their clash at the castle match more than this one, but again, you shouldn't sleep on this one. It was still hard-hitting, guys just beating the piss out of each other, but they couldn't get too physical the way that they did at Clash at the castle for this second match, but it was still good. So... Then in SmackDown, you saw Gunther holding up the of Championship over shamus's body. And that is your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, off to AEW Rampage. Six-man tag match will open it up. Blackpool Combat Clubs, Jon Moxley, Claudio Castagnoli, and Will Uta going against Roosh and Private Party. Yuda will get the win for his team by submission when Yuda will lock in the bicep slicer on Mark Quinn for the win. Private Party got were able to showcase themselves in this uh six man match. Private party is not around on AEW Dynamite that much. They're trying to put them more on screen, but the whole them leaving Roosh and uh Matt Hardy contract tampering with them and all that stuff. They're trying to get Private Party back on television and I like it because Private Party has been there since day one with AEW or at least since the first episode of AEW has been around. And um They bulked up in size, and if anybody's been watching since day one, whenever AEW got television, it's a good thing to see Private Party back on your television screens, and hopefully they get more screen time, and they get more time to build up their AEW tag team rankings, hopefully. Uh, After this, we had the Varsity Blondes going against Tony Neese and Josh Woods, who had Mark Sterling in their corner. Josh Woods would win the match for his team by pinfall when Josh and Tony with their tag finisher, which is a Olympic Slam or Angle Slam, if you know it better in the WWE, and a neckbreaker combo on Griff Garrison for the win. After the match, Mark Sterling will get in the ring and get on the mic and say that he has trademarked the word varsity, and he has now named his team, which is Tony Nese and Josh Woods, varsity athletes. And if the varsity blondes use the name varsity, they will get sued. So now varsity blondes will have to figure out a new tag team name for themselves. The Acclaim will come out and get Mark Sterling and his guys out of the ring. And that's it for this. After this, we had a female tag team matchup. Ty Mello and Anna J going against Sky Blue and Madison Rain. Anna J would win the match for her team by submission when Anna will lock in the Queen Slayer, which is a Dragon Sleeper. Well, a sleeper hold on Sky Blue for the win. Solid tag team woman matchup here to give the bad guys uh, um, some wins. After this, main event time, trios championship matchup, Dark Orders, Alex Reynolds, John Silver, and number 10 going against the Death Triangle, which is Pac, Penta, and Phoenix. Death Triangle would win the match by referee stoppage thanks to interference from both Roosh and Jose coming down to the ring. Alex Reynolds will have Penta on the top turnbuckle, and Jose will come down to the ring with an envelope. This is still going on with Jose working on the behalf of Andrade, trying to get 10 to come along and join his little faction, and you will see John Silver take care of Jose, and the referee wouldn't see Roosh coming down to the ring and hand Pack the timekeeper's hammer. Pack would take the hammer from Roosh and hit Alex in the head with the hammer. Then Pack would tag himself in, and then he will lock in the brutalizer in on Alex, and the referee would see that Alex is not moving, and he will call for the bell. So Death Triangle are still your trio's champions. Pack would not have no rest for the weary because after Rampage was over, he immediately had another match to start off AEW's Battle of the Belts. It was him defending his All Atlantic Championship against Trent, and Pack would win that match by submission when Pack would be outside of the ring, and Pack again would get the timeskeeper hammer and get on the ring apron. Pack would be grabbed up by Trent, and Trent would try to bring in Pack into the ring with a back suplex. But Pack would hit Trent in the head with the hammer, then cover Trent for the win. The referee never saw Pac hit Trent with the hammer. So that's the thing on that. After the match, Orange Cassidy would come down to the ring and he would start attacking Pack. He would beat up on him so much that the security would come out and separate Orange off of Pack, letting Pack leave the ring with his All-Atlantic Championship. And this sets up for Dynamite, uh Orange Cassidy going against Pack for the All-Atlantic Championship. After this, we had the TBS Championship matchup of Willow Nightingale going against Jade Cargill, who had the baddies in her corner. Jade would win the match by pinfall when she would hit Willow with Jaded for the win, so Jade is still undefeated, she's still the TBS champion, and she's 39-0 in her AEW career. After the match, Vicky Guerrero will come out and say her catch line of excuse me, excuse me. This was all a distraction, so Nyla Rose could come out, steal the TBS Championship, and run to the back with it, and you would see the baddies chasing after Nyla, and also Jade Cargill will do the same thing, so this is setting up for Nyla Rose to be the next uh, challenger for the TBS Championship against Jade, and I'm not mad at that. After this, then it'll be the main event of Battle of the Belts, our Wish Tag Team Championship matchup. FTR going against the Gates of Agony with Prince Nana in their corner. FTR would win the match by pinfall when Nana would get on the ring apron. Dax Hardwood would grab Nana. Khan would run towards Dax. Dax would throw Khan into Nana. Then Dax would get Khan into the backslide pin for the win. You know what? This match, I don't know what didn't work here. FTR going against Gates of Agony, it did not work. I don't know what to say about it. It just just wasn't it. FTR has had great matches with other individuals. I don't know if Gates of Agony need more time on television or what the case may be. They haven't, like, mastered the art of tag team wrestling between both of these two guys yet, but I think that with more time, Gates of Agony could be a more legitimate force on AEW television or even Ring of Honor whenever Ring of Honor is on TV, but this match just didn't It didn't do nothing for me. Uh, After the match, Gates of Agony would attack FTR. Brian Cage would come down to join in on the beatdown, and then you would see Wardlow coming out to the ring to even the numbers with him and FTR, but Cage and the Gates of Agony would beat up on Wardlow. Then Samoa Joe will come out and he will be able to clear out the ring of the embassy. He was able to beat up on the Gates of Agony. He was able to beat up on Brian Cage and send all three of these men out of the ring. So, at the end of Battle of the Belts, you had this like, standoff between Gates of Agony and Brian Cage on the outside of the ring looking at champions all inside the ring. Uh, uh, Warlow, who is a TNT champion, Samoa Joe, who is the Ring of Honor television champion, and FTR, who are the Ring of Honor tag champions, the AAA tag team champions, and the IWGP tag team champions. I just have a feeling that we're going to get more of the embassy on television for AEW, and again, I'm not mad at it because Ring of Honor does not have TV, and until they have TV, I would love for Ring of Honor talent to be on AEW television so the world could get themselves established and know who these Ring of Honor stars are, so when a Ring of Honor does get a TV program, people will be able to hop onto Ring of Honor and be like, okay, I know who this person is because of AEW, they were on there, instead of be like, okay, who's this guy, who's that guy, who's that gal, so hopefully they'll get more TV time on AEW. So whenever Ring of Honor does get TV, everybody will know who they are. But anyway, that is your AEW Battle of the Belts Wrestling Highlights of the Week. And before I talk about my Extreme Rules predictions, I have to give you the results of what happened at Bound for Glory. I saw the highlights of it, so I'm able to tell you exactly who won the matches. For the pre-show, you had Brian Myers going against Dirty Dango, or better known as Fandango, at his time in WWE. Brian Myers would beat Dirty Dango by pinfall, and he would be retaining the Impact Digital Media Championship. The match to actually open up Bound for Glory, you have Frankie Kazarian going against the champion Mike Bailey for the X Division Championship. And Frankie Kazarian would beat Mike Bailey by submission to become the new Impact X Division Champion, so again this still helps out the work relationship between AEW and Impact since Frankie Kazarian is an AEW contract wrestler. After this, we have Mickey James going against Mia Yim, and again if Mickey James loses, she will have to retire. Mickey James would win, and she continues on her wrestling career. After this, we have the tag team matchup for the Impact Knockouts World Tag Team Championships. You had Jessica and Taya Valkyrie with Rosemary in her corner going against Vex, the champions, who were Chelsea Green and Deanna Perrazzo. We have new Impact Knockout World Tag Team Champions, Jessica and Taya Valkyrie beating Chelsea Green and Deanna Perrazzo by pinfall. After this, we had the men's Impact World Tag Team titles matchup. You had Arnold Morris, Matt Taven, and Mike Bennett with Maria Kanellis in their corner going against the Challengers, Motor City Machine Guns, The Kingdom, would win the match. Well, Matt Taven and Mike Bennett would win the match by pinfall to retain the Impact World Tag Team Championships. Then it went to the uh, Call Your Shot Battle Royal for the winner would be able to get a chance at any championship they want in a whole entire year. The last two people to be inside this gauntlet were Bully Ray, better known as Bubba Ray, in his WWE time, and Steve Macklin. Bully Ray would eliminate Steve Macklin, so Bully Ray has one whole entire year to cash in a shot for any Impact Championship gold that he wants. <laughs> I find that real weird, because Bully Ray is not an Impact guy, and again, some reason, somehow, they want to do something with Steve Macklin. It's been proven. He was the guy that beat uh, Jay White and Chris Sabin in a Triple Threat match. He would just beat Moose and Sammy Callahan in a barbed wire Triple Threat match. And he just beat Moose this last uh, Impact Wrestling show. With Sammy being the special guest referee, nevertheless. But it was still a win is a win. It seems to me that Impact wants to do something with Steve Macklin. But they just don't want to know. They just don't know when to pull the trigger on Steve. And hopefully they get to pull the trigger on him soon before his contract lets up. And that's one of those guys that, yo, you guys built him up so well that you guys didn't get to cash in on him being a world champion for your company. It's stupid. Uh, Anyway, after this, you had Jordan Grace, the champion of the knockouts division, going against Masha Slamovich. Jordan Grace would beat Masha Slamovich to retain her Impact Knockouts Championship, so Masha is no longer undefeated in Impact. Now it's time for the main event. Josh Alexander going against Eddie Edwards for the Impact World Championship. Josh Alexander would beat Eddie Edwards to retain his Impact World Championship. After the match, Honor No More would come out to beat up on Eddie Edwards. They had a table in the ring, and it seems that they were going to put him through it, but then you saw Bully Ray come out, and people thought that Bully Ray was going to cash in his Call Your Shot, the same way that Moose did last year, but Bully Ray doesn't. He teamed up with Josh Alexander to beat up on Honor No More to get them out of the ring, and then, once they do, you see Bully Ray pick up the Impact World Championship. He tells Josh that he's basically next in line for the Impact World Championship and that he's going to be the toughest test that Josh has ever had, and that's how Bound for Glory ends with Josh Alexander still being your Impact World Championship. Well, champion. Now, off to the Extreme Rules predictions. First up, we have the SmackDown Women's Championship matchup. Liv Morgan defending her championship against Ronda Rousey in an Extreme Rules matchup. I want to say Liv Morgan so Ronda can go off and do something else because I don't know if I want to see Ronda with the SmackDown Women's Championship. Personally, Liv Morgan needs to have that belt more, and if anything, we get to see a more ruthless side of Liv Morgan. This could be the test for everybody to stop having her as the underdog in her championship reign, so I'm going with Liv Morgan. Uh, Matt Riddle going against Seth Rollins in the fight pit, Daniel Cormier as a special guest referee. I'm hoping for no shenanigans with Daniel Cormier, and if we get no shenanigans, I'm going with Matt Riddle, because Matt Riddle needs a win in his rivalry with Seth. Seth has been kicking Matt's but from pillar to post, every time they always have a match with each other, at least in the end. So with this being in Matt Riddle's uh, repertoire, his type of style of match, Matt Riddle should win. So I'm going with Matt Riddle. Strap match, Drew McIntyre going against Karrion Cross with Scarlett. I'm going with Karrion Cross because Karrion Cross. this is his first like big money matchup since he's been back on the main roster, since he's been back with WWE in general. So for him to lose this, I don't know what that says about Karrion Cross. To be honest with you, if he does lose, Drew McIntyre, he can lose this. And then we can build him back up to him possibly maybe even winning the Royal Rumble. Maybe if Cody Rhodes isn't back by then. But Karrion Cross winning the strap match. Ladder match for the Raw Women's Championship. Bailey going against Bianca Belair. I'm saying Bailey off the same thing that I said with Karrion Cross here. Bianca Belair, she doesn't need to win this ladder match. Bailey does. Bailey's back. She's been back ever since SummerSlam. Sure, she got the win at Clash of the Castle, but she needs to have this win. She needs to be able to control the women's division on Raw and be able to transport herself over to SmackDown with her uh, damage control buddies so she can say that I rule the whole women's division and become a narcissist and an egomaniac. So I would like to see Bailey win. I quit match Edge going against Finn Balor. This one's a toss-up, because you got Edge and Finn. Again, dream match, but it's an I quit match. Again, if this should have been Damian Priest going against Edge in an I quit match, it would have made much more better sense, at least story-wise for me. But with this match happening, I could see Edge kind of saying I quit off this alone. Beth Phoenix coming out there and throwing in the towel for her husband because she doesn't want to see her husband get beat up so much. Finn Balor and Judgment Day have been on a roll so far. They need to continuously be on this roll of being the guys that are just being that top group, at least on Raw, because right now Raw has no top group besides the Judgment Day, to my recollection right now, so... I'm going with Finn on this and off the strength of Beth being out there to throw in the towel or somebody that edges like cares about Edge can go in there and throw in the towel without Edge saying I quit. Because if Finn Balor says I quit, uh, that kills Judgment Day, at least in my eyes, just off top of that alone. Because Finn doesn't need to lose this. Edge can lose and he'll be perfectly fine. But if Finn loses, you're killing Judgment Day. Now it's time for the main event. At least at least that's what it has on the Wikipedia card right here. The Brawling Brutes, which is Sheamus, Ridge Holland, and Butch, going against Imperium, which is Gunther, Ludwig Kaiser, and Giovanni Vinci, and a six-man, good old-fashioned Brook, and I believe it's just a no holds bar, like, street fight-type style match. We can give this match to the Brawling Brutes because this is their match. This is their forte. Anything goes, street fight, and again, Sheamus and the Brawling Brutes need a win because this past week, uh, Imperium has cost Sheamus and uh, the Brawling Brutes Championship Gold throughout this whole week. So I give it up to the Brawling Brutes for that. Now, with that all being said, you can check out uh, my review of that tomorrow on Sunday, as well as the Sunday episode tomorrow as well. But until then, I hope you guys are able to watch Peacock tonight to watch the Extreme Rules per review. If not, hey, you will be here for my reviews tomorrow. Uh, so with that, I hope you guys have a great Saturday. Don't be a dick. Love the people next to you. Love your neighbor. Be kind. Just don't be a complete dickhead to anybody. All right. And with that, this isn't goodbye. This is until you hear the sweet sounding voice again. I love you all. I thank you. And Kanye, could you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired? Uh-huh. Jesus wept.